Good morning. Today is Sunday, March 27th, 2022. It's fascinating and ironic that the Torah portion, which on the surface seems the most bizarre to us, seems to have the least connection to us of perhaps any Torah portion in the Torah, seems to be the least relevant to any aspect of our lives. In fact, when we look at how it is understood and explained, it is this portion that carries one of the most relevant, applicable lessons, especially for us now. And I hope over the next number of days, to share several aspects of this most applicable and relevant subject with you. And I want to start today with one element of this. So the Torah portion of Tazria starts with this subject that usually is translated with the, with the word leprosy, but it's not leprosy. Leprosy is a medical disease now known as Hansen's disease. What is described in the Torah may in ancient times have had a similarity to it, but there's no connection whatsoever. Tsara'as is a spiritual condition where a person who, God forbid, committed a certain sin, it shows up on their body as a discoloration on their skin, on their hair, on their clothing, even on their home. And this discoloration is meant to give this message that something is wrong spiritually with the person and they need to fix themselves. Sounds very strange. All of a sudden, something's going to appear on my skin, my hair, my house. We don't have such a thing. We don't see such a thing. It seems very, very bizarre. But the first thing I want to focus on now is the continuation from last week's Torah portion. Because last week's Torah portion, which we read in Shul last Shabbos, the Parsha Shmini, ended with the discussion of which animals are kosher and which animals are not kosher. And we discussed this partially last week. What's the connection? Because usually there is a thematic connection between one Parsha and the following Parsha. What is the thematic connection between last week's Torah portion, which has to do with kosher species, and this week's Torah portion, which has to do with these spots and discolorations appearing when a person has done a certain kind of a sin? Our sages tell us, and this is one of, going to be one of the underlying themes that we are going to discuss, that while this result of tsara'as, of this discoloration, with all of the ritual that surrounds it, which we're going to discuss later, which is the subject of our Torah portion of the Shabbos, it comes when a person speaks Lashon Hara. When a person says negative things about another person, even if those things are true, but there's no necessary positive constructive reason to say them, 
just to criticize or to make fun of someone else. When a person did that at the time of the Torah, a person would, in response, receive this condition known as saras. So let me try to answer this thematic connection between the parshios by sharing with you two stories. The first story is told by Rabbi Pesach Kron, the great, great storyteller of our time. And it's about a man who is most well known to us for his care and concern and teaching about what we should say and what we should not say, known to us as the Chavitz Chaim, Rabbi Yisrael Meir Kagan of Radin. He was the greatest Torah leader in the early 1900s. He lived in Poland in a small, small town of Radin, a village of Radin. And he wrote and he practiced extensively how we should speak about others and how we should not speak to others and about others. One time, the Chavetz Chaim was taking a trip together with another rabbi, a respected rabbi from Poland. And it happened that they stayed overnight at an inn that was owned by a Jewish woman. So, they had dinner at the inn, in the, in the, in the eating area, in the, in the dining room. And the owner, this woman, was so humbled and so honored to have these distinguished guests. Everybody knew who the Chavetz Chaim was, and the other guest was also recognizable. And she was, you know, kind of hovering over them to make sure everything was okay, to make sure they had everything they wanted. She was honored to be serving such great Torah scholars. And towards the end of the meal, she asked them, how was the dinner? And the other rabbi said, well, it was very good, but the soup could have used a little bit more salt. It was good, but maybe a little more salt next time. The Chavetz Chaim, his face turned white. He couldn't believe what this other rabbi had just said. He said, you know, I try all my life not only to speak Lashon Hara, but not even to listen to it. And the other rabbi says, what did I do? What did I say? I said the food was good. I just said it needed a little bit more salt, and it did need a little bit more salt. What did I do was so wrong? The Chavetz Chaim said, but think about the power of your words. What do you think is happening right now because of what you said to the owner? Right now, I'll bet you that that owner is going back into the kitchen and she's yelling at the cook. And who is the cook? I assure you, the cook is probably a very poor woman. She may be supporting a family. And now she's getting yelled at because this woman thinks that she was embarrassed that these two great scholars were not satisfied with the food. She's yelling at that cook for her ineptitude in not seasoning the soup properly, and probably she's going to fire that cook. 
and that cook will have no way to support herself, and her whole family will be brought to the brink of poverty, all because of what you said. And then the Chavetz Chaim led this other rabbi, said, let's go see what's happening. And they went quietly, and they stood at the door to the kitchen, and they heard exactly that scene. The Chavetz Chaim had predicted it precisely. The owner was yelling at the cook, how could you do such a thing? How could you embarrass me in such a front, such important guests? And the owner said, you're fired. And the cook started to cry. The rabbi who had spoken immediately ran over to the owner of the inn. And he said to her, I apologize. I didn't mean to say that. The food was very good. I should not have said anything about the salt. It was okay. Just a little bit of salt, but I should not have said it. Please don't use my words to harm this woman, please. I am begging you. I'm your guest. You say that you respect me. Please, I'm begging you, take this woman back as your cook. The woman was torn, but... This rabbi, who she respects so much, is begging her to take the cook back. So she told the cook, you can stay. Rabbi Yisrael Salanter, the great teacher of how to be refined in our speech, in our actions, in our concern for each other. He used to make the following observation. He used to say that there are many, many Jews who are extremely careful about the laws of Kashrus. They're extremely careful to research and to consider every food that goes into their mouths to make sure that, God forbid, they are not putting something into their mouth that is not kosher. But not as many people are so concerned with what comes out of their mouths to make sure that their words, first of all, are true, but even beyond that, are not even inadvertently causing upset or pain to another person. The Parsha of Tazria, which reflects on what happens when a person speaks negatively about someone else, follows immediately last week's Parsha of Shmini in order to drive home this message. From last week's Parsha, we learn how careful we have to be about what goes into our mouths. And from this week's Parsha, we learn how we have to be so concerned and so careful and so sensitive about every word that comes out of our mouths. Rabbi Shlomo Volba, another great teacher about refinement of character and the way to act in a moral and ethical manner. He once said, we put a lot of effort into teaching a baby to talk, but we do not invest so much effort into teaching ourselves to be silent. So that's the first lesson. We have to remember, even if we don't intention it, 
even if we don't intend it, even if we don't see how it's going to cause a problem, but to anticipate that our words could cause such pain. And we have to be careful about that. And at the same time, we have to also remember the good we could cause, the healing, the love, the increase in self-esteem that we can cause just by a word, just by a phrase. I've shared this story with some of you before, and it's a story that we need to repeat often. We need to hear it often to allow its message to be absorbed into our lives. And it's also a story about the Chavetz Chaim, Rabbi Yisrael Meir Kagan of Radin. I heard this story many years ago from Rabbi Moshe Weinberger. And the story concerns a man whose name was Rabbi Elia Lapian. In the early and mid-1900s, Rabbi Elia Lapian was a great Torah scholar and he was the head of a yeshiva. And like many in his position, he had to travel to collect funds for his yeshiva. And he would travel from place to place. And he was a great Torah scholar. He was not just a money collector. He was a great Torah scholar. And people would be honored to see him and to invite him in and to give a donation to his yeshiva. It once happened he was traveling through England. And he came to a town. And in this town, he wanted to be able to meet with the wealthier people in town to be able to ask for a donation to his yeshiva. And in this town, they said to him that there's a gvir, there's a very wealthy man. And this man, you must go visit him because he supports every Torah educational institution. He supports every school, every shul. Go visit him. He will definitely give you a generous donation, especially you, Rev. Elia Lapian, such a distinguished scholar, such a distinguished visitor to our small town. You will definitely receive a generous donation from him. You must go see him. There's just one thing you should know that this man, although he supports every school and every yeshiva, he himself is not religiously observant. He's not a from person. He's not a religious man. But he supports every yeshiva. Revelia said, with all due respect, I choose not to visit that man. I choose for myself. I'm not telling anybody else what to do, but I choose for myself that I want the funds that are used to support my yeshiva to come from people who they themselves are living lives that are in accord with what my yeshiva is teaching. He had standards about who could donate to his yeshiva. Okay. Certainly made his job harder, but that was his standard and that was his position. But the people of the town, they, pre they pressed him and they said, Rebbe, you don't understand. 
It's okay if you want to have that standard for yourself. But if this wealthy man hears that there was a great scholar, Rabbi Eldia Lapian, who came to town and he could, didn't come to visit me to get a donation from me, which I certainly would have given, this man, he's got a bit of an ego. And if he feels that you have insulted him by not going to visit him, he's not going to give to any of the other schools. He's not going to give to the, any of the other yeshivos. Don't only think about yourself, Rab Lepian. Think about all of us. Think about the yeshivos that are here, the others that come to visit who are willing to accept. He's going to stop giving to everybody. You can't not visit this man. It would harm everybody. Rebellia thought about it, and then he told the people of the town, he said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I will go visit this man to show him honor and respect for the support that he does give to Jewish education, but I am not going to take a donation from him. I'll visit him. I'll show him respect but I'm not receiving, I'm not accepting any donation from him. The people of his town said, okay, fine. That'll be enough. Rebellia Lapia went to visit this man. This is in the late 1930s. So he's sitting with this man and Rebellia Lapia says to this wealthy gentleman, he says, Please don't be insulted. And please understand, I have respect for the generosity you show to all of the schools and Jewish education that you support. But I have a question. And if you wouldn't mind, I would appreciate if you would answer this question. How is it that you are so generous to every Torah educational institution Every Jewish school that comes to you, you give generously. Every yeshiva that comes to you, you give generously. And yet you yourself are not religiously observant. I'm just curious. If you don't mind, could you just explain to me why that is? The man says to Rebellia Lapien, I recognize that you are a very important scholar. You've asked me a deeply personal question. And I'll tell you, I have never given this answer to anyone. But I will tell you the truth. I'll tell you the story. It's because of a story that happened when I was a boy. A number of years ago, when I was a boy, growing up in a Jewish family, I was already off the derech. I was already off the beaten path. I had rebelled against my family. I had rebelled against Judaism. I didn't want to study Torah. I was not really practicing Judaism. My parents had the idea, maybe not such a good idea. My parents had the idea that they would send me to yeshiva in Raden to learn in the yeshiva of the Chafetz Chaim, Rabbi Yisrael Meir Kagan of Raden, this small town where the Chafetz Chaim lived, 
again, the greatest scholar of the Jewish people at that time. He lived in a tiny, tiny village in Poland. And somehow my parents got it into their mind that if they would send me to the yeshiva at the age of 14, you understand, I'm leaving home. I'm going to be on my own by myself, traveling across Europe from England to Poland. And somehow this is going to straighten me out. I didn't want to go. I knew it wasn't going to work. But my parents forced me. And so I made the long trip by train to Radin. Now, the procedure when you got to this small town, which is true in many places, is if you want to apply to a school, to a yeshiva, you had to meet the mashkiach. The mashkiach was not the rosh yeshiva who gave the classes. The mashkiach was the person who took an interest in the boys, made sure they were doing okay, made sure their characters were developing, intervened if there was any kind of a problem, took a personal interest, more than just the intellectual aspect of the study in this yeshiva. So you had to meet the mashkiach for a test. You had to be tested, an entrance exam, you had to be tested. I came into the room with this mashkiach, with this rabbi in Radin, and this rabbi saw right away that I was not cut out for this issue. It was obvious. I didn't want to be there. I was rebelling against Judaism. The idea of studying in some yeshiva far away from home, it was obvious. And the mashkiach said to me, I'm sorry, but you are not cut out for this yeshiva and you need to go back home, back to England. Now this man telling the story says, I have to tell you, I was relieved because I didn't want to be there. He didn't want me to be there. And I was relieved. I could go home. I could tell my parents I tried and now I could try to do something that I want to do. The problem was by the time this happened, it was late at night. And it was Raden, which is a tiny village in Poland. It was winter. It was freezing. There were no more trains leaving Raden to be able to start the journey back. And I didn't know what to do because I did not know anybody in Radin. So I left the yeshiva and I just started walking. I had heard that in Radin there was a man, the Chavitz Chaim, Rabbi Yisrael Meir Kagan of Radin. And I heard that he was the Gadol Adar. He was the greatest Jewish scholar in the entire world at that time. And I heard that he had such a tremendous, warm personality and cared so much about each individual. He's the only person's name that I knew in all of Radin. 
Maybe he would give me an idea of what I could do, at least tonight, until I can start my trip back. I didn't know where he lived, but the whole town was maybe just a few blocks. It was a small, tiny village. I found his home, finally. The Chavetz Chaim was unbelievably poor. And at that time, he lived by himself in abject poverty. I knocked on the door. It was late at night. And the Chavetz Chaim himself opened the door. And here's this 14-year-old boy standing at the door in the cold. And he said to him, Rebbe, I came to the yeshiva. I wasn't accepted to the yeshiva. I'm going home, but there are no trains tonight. I don't know anybody in town. Can I stay at least in the dormitory tonight, just a warm place to spend the night so I don't freeze to death. And then as soon as I get up, I'll be on my way, go back home. But could I just please, could you find me a place to spend the night? And the Chavetz Chaim said to him, No. No. If you're not accepted to the yeshiva, you're not allowed to stay in the dorm. So this man, as a 14-year-old boy, is now saying, I'm thinking to myself, you mean to tell me this is the Chafetz Chaim? This is the guy that everybody says he's the most remarkable, wonderful, warm Jew in the entire world. This is the Chafetz Chaim. He's going to kick a 14-year-old boy out into the cold, into the winter at night with no place to sleep. So I said, but Rebbe, what am I going to do? It's freezing outside. How am I going to make it until tomorrow morning when there's a train that leaves? And the Chafetz Chaim said to this boy, he said, no, no, you misunderstood what I said. No, you cannot stay in the dormitory because you were not accepted into the yeshiva. And the dormitory is limited to those boys that are accepted to the yeshiva. But with your permission... I would love for you to be my guest for the night. You'll stay with me. The boy thinks to himself, boy, this is a strange day. I was rejected by the yeshiva, and now I'm the guest of the Chafetz Chaim in his home. The boy came in. The Chavetz Chaim served him personally dinner, a hot dinner. And the Chavetz Chaim went to sleep. And the boy went to sleep. And the boy is lying in bed. 
But the boy can't fall asleep because he's thinking of all these things that happened to him today. And it's just such a bizarre day. He doesn't know which way his life is going. And he's rejected, but he's in the Chavitz Chaim's home. And as he is lying there in bed, this boy, he's lying there in bed. The Chavitz Chaim, thinking that the boy is asleep, opens the door. Now the boy closes his eyes, pretending to be asleep because he knows that Chafetz Chaim thinks that he's asleep. So he's pretending to be asleep. He's not sleeping. He's pretending to be asleep. The Chafetz Chaim thinks this boy is sleeping. The Chafetz Chaim walks into the room, leans over this boy, and the Chafetz Chaim whispers to himself, Nebuch, I think my guest is cold. And so the Chavetz Chaim took off his jacket, took off the coat that he was wearing, and he put his jacket on top of this boy. And now this man says years later to Rav Elia Lapian, it's because of the whisper of the Chavetz Chaim that he was willing to give me his own coat that I should be warm. That's the only reason I have any warm feelings towards Judaism at all. And though I do not observe Judaism, though I do not observe mitzvot at all, I support every yeshiva, I support every Jewish school because of those whispered words of the Chavetz Chaim. That is what we can and should strive to accomplish with what comes out of our mouths. My friends, I want to wish you a great day. And I look forward to seeing all of you soon in person.